We are continuing our study in Isaiah. We're in Isaiah chapter 7. Turn with there, turn there with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 7. We'll look at chapter 7 and 8 today. Last week, as P- Pastor Ethan spoke on Isaiah chapter 6, we saw the king had died. Right? King Uzziah had died, but there was still a king on the throne. There's still one that was high and lifted up. For Isaiah sees God holy, high, and lifted up. So after Uzziah, Jotham, his son, takes over and reigns for a little while and then dies at the young age of 41. As 2 Kings 15.34 states, Jotham did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. His son Ahaz did not. So as we read earlier, in 2 Kings 16, he, he sacrificed his children. In 2 Chronicles 28, he closed the doors of the temple, started cutting to pieces the things in the temple, and then setting up altars outside to worship pagan gods. He wanted nothing to do with Jehovah God. So somewhere around 734-735 AD, Isaiah comes and talks to Ahaz during this tumultuous time where Assyria and Israel are coming in to attack. And Isaiah comes in hoping that Ahaz will turn and repent and that they will trust Yahweh, they'll trust the Lord of hosts to deliver them. We don't need anybody else, we need God, and that's it. So let's look at chapter 7 to see how Ahaz will respond. First, we see the situation here in verses 1 and 2. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the son of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaiah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. So again, the situation, Syria and Israel are moving in. The northern tribes, or speaking of Israel, speaking of the ten northern tribes, the two southern Judah and Benjamin were being attacked. And it says in verse number two that Israel and Judah are, are shaking in their boots. It's shaking like leaves or branches of a tree in a strong gust of wind. They're just, you can see the shaking. So this is the scene that Isaiah walks into. And then we hear the message. So we see the first message in seven, three through nine. Look at verse number three. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz. You and Shub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. So he, he's not even going to say Pekka's name. He's like, I'm not even, just that kid, that other dude's kid. So before we get into this message, let me point out a couple things here. Two names I want to point out in these verses. So I'm not drawing att- attention to this yet, but I think we need to do it here. So the Hebrew word that means the Lord saves. So there's a Hebrew word that means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. It's translated in your English translation as the word Isaiah. So when, Spiegel, when people said his name in Hebrew, they were saying every time the Lord saves. The Lord saves. Hey, the Lord saves. I'm here. Roll call. That's me. So that's his name. He's going to bring, asked by God, to bring his son, right? Which has a name that I don't know if many of you have named your children after. And when you named a child then, it, their name meant something. So uh, do you know what your name means? Many of you know what your name means. I don't, I don't know if you know what your name means. Sometimes there's a purpose. You know, maybe you're named after your grand, your great aunt, Tilly, and they, that's you know, ch- how you got your name. You had her eyes, and however, sometimes it's that. Sometimes there's a meaning, and people get stuck onto it. So, like McKenna, her name means something. 
You know what her name means? Poor God of man. Do you know, you know what her name means? The child of the handsome one. I mean, it just, it seemed to fit. That's not why we chose McKenna. I thought it was a great name. I found that afterwards, and I thought, it's quite comical. But, I mean, you think the name means something. And so why did you name your child this, Shere Jehashab? Well, because God told him to. You know what his name means? And so in Hebrew, when they were saying his name, they were saying every time, a remnant will return. In Hebrew, that's what this means. A remnant will return. A remnant will return. So roll call, uh, remnant will return. Yes, I know, you're going into exile, and you have to come back. Yeah, I know, remnant will return. A remnant will return. So the Lord is salvation, comes with his son, a remnant will return. To speak to King Ahaz, to think, will he turn? To avoid a remnant having to return. Will he choose God is salvation? What does Ahaz do? Not the right thing. So God sends him, hoping they'll repent. Verse 4 and 5, Isaiah tells Ahaz, be quiet. And not to fear Syria or Israel, the ten northern tribes. This is verses 5 to 7. Syria and Israel were, were trying to take over Judah. They're trying to install kind of a puppet king so that those three kingdoms could wage war against Assyria. Not Syria, Assyria with Tiglath-Pileser, who was on the charge. Assyria kind of laid dormant for a couple decades. They had a couple emperors that were not bloodthirsty. But when Tiglath-Pileser came on the scene, he was. He wanted to expand his kingdom, and he's pressuring, and he's coming in after Syria, after Israel, and after Judah on his way to Egypt. So this pressure is coming. So they're hoping we can kind of take over Judah, put in a puppet king, son of Tabil here, and what kind of rule? And us three will then take on Assyria. But God gives him a promise. Because Ahaz thinks, no, that's not going to happen. I'm going to call, like I told you before, he's going to hire the cat. I'm going to call Assyria. I'm going to call to Tigath Pileser. I'm going to send him a bunch of gold and make him our mercenaries. But after a cat eats two mice, what will he eventually do with a third? He's going to eat him too. And we're going to see that in chapter 8. And so God says, so Isaiah says to Ahaz, you don't need Assyria. Look at verse number 7, because in fact, it, it's not going to stand. Syria and Israel are not going to take you over. Trust God. And he says in verse number 8, in fact, within 65 years, these two kingdoms, the ones which are, are making you quake and shiver, they're going to be wastelands. Ahaz, if you won't trust God now, everything's going to fall apart. So it says at the end of verse 9, if you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. Trust in God. Don't trust man. Trust in God. If you won't trust him now, again, it's just going to fall apart. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 22, where Isaiah is pleading with the people, stop, stop regarding man. Stop trusting in man as your hope. Men cannot lead you. Men cannot deliver you. You need God. You need a Savior. So in verse 10, we see Isaiah bring a second message to Ahaz. Look at verse number 10, 11, and 12. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as she or as high as the heavens. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Isaiah speaking again on behalf of God is back. He tells Ahaz, ask for a sign. Ahaz, God wants you to ask for a sign. I mean, as it, there's no limit to what he's saying you can ask for. As high as the heavens. Name it. Ask for a sign to show that God can deliver. How does Ahaz respond? With scripture. 
I will not, I will not put the Lord to the test, going back to Deuteronomy 6.16. Uh, man, I, so he's excusing, he's going to excuse his behavior with the Bible. You ever seen somebody try to do that? Excuse poor behavior by misquoting a verse? Here God is asking him. So he's not testing God. God's saying, just name it. I'll do it. He's like, no. Let's uh, see here. I don't want to put God to the test. You know, I can't do it. And why is that? Because Assyria's got my back. I don't need Jehovah God. I don't need the Lord of hosts. That's why I closed up the temple. Because I'm offering children as a sacrifice to other gods. We don't need him. One of our members, reading about this, you know, talking about quoting text, uh, taking a verse and ripping out of context, said of this, Ahaz was quoting scripture back to Isaiah and to the Lord, and he was rebuked. He goes, I must be careful not to think of indi- individual verses alone, but think in the totality of scripture. Right? To think in context. I've got to think of all of the books. I've got to think of everything. You can't just rip a verse out of context like he's doing here. Ahaz abuses God's word. He won't ask for a sign. He will not trust God. But God's going to say, I'm going to give you a sign nonetheless. What's the sign God would give him? Remember, Syria is on the mount. Israel is on the mount. What sign could he give him of this deliverance, deliverance from these two kingdoms? Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring you, bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as has not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah. What great day is coming for them? The king of Assyria. You wanted the cat? You're getting the cat. This, but it seems like a strange sign, doesn't it? Assyria's on attack. Israel's on attack. Where's your hope? A, a virgin's going to have a child. But, uh, but we're under attack. You don't need a baby. You need a warrior. We need so many, we need lots of warriors. We need thousands of warriors. We need a baby. And you keep reading, and, and how does this baby fit in? Because we see in verse 15, the boys can eat curds and honey. This is the food that remains after being plundered and being sent into exile. There's just, that's just, that's what remains. In fact, in verses 21 and 22, we see that there's going to be so few people left. There's just going to be a couple animals, each person, and they're going to be able to have curds because there's just nothing. Remember in chapters 1 and 2, we saw Israel just expanding, right? They're building house upon house. They're going yard to yard. They're making their homes bigger mansions, these palaces, and all of a sudden, it's going to be a wasteland. A man may have a cow. He may have a goat, but he's going to have curds and honey. That's it. And it's in this environment, this desolate land, that this child will be born. There's not going to be this united kingdom of Israel where the ten northern tribes and two get back because they're going to be devastated by the king of Assyria 
for the child to give him this name, Emmanuel. He's going to be born into, into this tough circumstance. This would happen to Ahab. It would happen to the people of Judah because they refused to put their trust in God. So as one writer pointed out, the desolation of these two kingdoms explains why Emmanuel, this child named Emmanuel, will be born in poverty. So look, Ahaz, look, people of Judah, look for the promised child, born of a woman, named by the woman. These are key things as you're listening to. So does this give hope to Judah now? Because people are coming with swords. Arrows are hitting the wall. Tell me you have plan B. No, the child's going to be born. And in fact, within this time, look at verse 16, because there's going to be a timeline here. You see in 716 of how they'll see hope present day. It says in verse 16, for before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land he continues to dread will be deserted. So in this space of time, so it's either factually before a child can choose right or wrong or morally. Most likely it could be, it's morally. So in this process of a child becoming a grown person, being able to understand and choose for themselves. So within this, depending on how you read it, a 3 to 12 to 18 year period, these two kingdoms would be destroyed. Remember, I told you this is 734, 735 A.D., somewhere in this range. Within the next three years, Syria, gone. Within the next 12 years, Israel, gone. The word of the Lord is sure. What he says will happen, happens. So it's sure that you are, Ahaz, that these two kingdoms will be devastated and destroyed. And they will. And they were. You can also be sure that the hope of Israel will be found in a child who will be born into this desolate wasteland, not a united kingdom. So, you, well, how's that help us? Well, Judas, I mean, Syria's gone. Israel is gone. So this should cause much rejoicing, and Judas is going to be able to dance around. I mean, this is great. We're free of our oppressors. Now look at chapter 8, because we see number 4 here, the judgment on Syria and Judah. So before this, we, we see a child is born in chapter 8. Is this the hope we are waiting for? Another child is born here. This is not a remnant will return. So is this the hope that Judah needs? Will this child bring about the presence of God? Will he come back? Will Emmanuel dwell with them? Look at verses 3 and 4. So Isaiah went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Aherishalah Hashbez, for before the boy knows how to cry, my father or mother, the wealth of Damascus, and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So you got to feel, you know, you feel sometimes, I was a pastor's kid, sometimes you feel for pastor's kids or missionary kids. Um, if you don't, you should. And I was one. Um, it's tough. It's got to be worse to be a prophet's kid. Because, I mean, look at these names. These are horrendous. You're a remnant will return. You're a Malershala Hashbaz. You're like, wait, what does that mean? It means swift to plunder and quick to spoil. Quick to, so swift to plunder, sorry, and quick to the spoils. Th th these people are getting ready to just devastate you. All your friends have to call you that. And so this child's born. You're thinking, well, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound like the hope we're looking for. Where's this child? What, we, we need this. Where's this deliverer? Because I'm not seeing it. 
And it doesn't sound good, and it's not good. So you see, but before the child is old enough to chat, before he could say mama and daddy, now it's in that one, two, three-year period, Syria would be carried away, and Syria was, as we saw in chapter 7. So is Meher Shalal Hashbaz the child that they were looking for? Is he hope for Judah? Look at verse number 6, because it doesn't seem like things are getting better for Judah. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently, and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Ramai, right? The rejoicing over these two kingdoms that were destroyed, verse 7. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river. That's where he's great. He's mighty and many. The king of Assyria and all his glory. They will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks. So it's going to devastate and flood Syria. It's going to devastate and flood the northern tribes. And it will sweep, verse 8, on into Judah. And it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to its neck. It's not going to kill them but it's going to come close, and outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Because Ahaz and Judah refused to trust God. Instead decided to trust Assyria. God will turn their trust on their own heads. And so the people that they hired to deliver them, instead of God, we're not going to put our trust in God, we're going to put our trust in them. And the people they put their trust in ended up stabbing them in the back. You ever seen that happen in real life? Somebody puts their trust in somebody, and all of a sudden you're like, no. It's like an Agatha Christie novel. Just things get turned. You're like, wait, what? I thought you were the good guy. No. I've been the bad guy all along. They refuse the sweet water, the waters of Shiloh. They, they refuse the sweet water of the Lord in verse 6. And will instead be flooded by the bitter waters of an enemy. But what about those that harm God's people? What hope is there for them? None. Look at verses Eight, I'm sorry, verses 9 and 10. We see number 5 here. Judgment on Assyria. Be broken, you peoples, and shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor. Be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Here's his presence. God's still for his people. Assyria will find, as we will soon find out, will continue to credit themselves for the great ability, their great ability to conquer foreign nations. They're going to walk around with this continued pat yourself on the back. Look how great we are. Look at all that we have accomplished. And they're going to lift themselves up high. And we're going to see in the coming chapters what's going to happen to them. What does God do to the proud? He brings them down. And he will. And they will be brought low. But what hope is there for God's people? Because no matter how far God's people may go from him, He's still with them. Brother and sister, have you ever gone on a path away from the Lord? And then you get broken and you wonder, would he receive me back? You ever felt like the prodigal son? Will his arms still be open wide? And what do we find every time? Come on, I love you, I always will, I forgive, I always will, come, come on. At the beginning of chapter 7, we saw Ahaz presented with a choice, choose life, choose life, choose the way of the Lord of hosts, stand firm or you won't stand at all, Ahaz chose to trust Assyria instead. 
So this rest of this chapter now, Isaiah's going to start looking at then there are two different ways to live. Because we're seeing Ahaz is not choosing the right. So how do you choose the right? So we're going to look at two different ways here. Our po- next point, number six, two ways to live. Look at verses 11 through 22. We'll read verses 11 through 17 right now. So the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Let him be a sanctuary and a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling against both houses of Israel, a trap, a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who, in, who is hiding his face in the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Let's walk through some positives. So we'll see the positive and negative. Let's walk through the positive, these two ways to live. First, honor God as holy. Verse 13, honor God as holy. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. We are to live with God being, what, high and lifted up. Who saw God high and lifted up? Isaiah. And he's saying, you need to see him just like that as well. He is holy, holy, holy. You need to recognize he's holy, and then you need to live as though he is holy. Live in that way. What's the best way you could show God you recognize his holiness? What's the old adage? What's... What's the sincerest form of flattery? Imitation. Imitation. It's the sincerest form of flattery. You you want to show God he's holy? Then be holy. Just like he's holy. Live like you've seen the King of Kings. The Lord of hosts. High and exalted. You should also fear God. Look at verse 13 again. Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Don't fear Syria. Don't fear Israel. Fear God. Fear. Fearing God is is being your wisdom. When Isaiah saw God holy, high, and lifted up, what did he do? When Isaiah saw the throne, did he think, this is sweet. This is awesome. Let me check this out. Huh? You guys see this? Selfie time with the Lord on the throne? Is that what he was thinking? What's his, what's his words? I'm dead. I'm done. There is no hope for me. I, 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 can't, I can't be here right now. And God forgives him. God atones his sin. And then God says, is there anybody here that I could use to help me tell others that I'll forgive? I'll go. I'll go. 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 Fear God. When John the Apostle saw God high and lifted up in the book of Revelation, what did he do in his response? Sometimes we think of fear of God as just a reverential fear. It's, it's a good, healthy fear. But when you see John the Apostle, who saw the Lord in the flesh, when he sees God high and lifted up and exalted, what does he do? He says, I fell as though dead. Dead. 
I should not be here. I should not be here. I'm going to die. God picks him up. (laughs) Come on, man. You're mine. You are mine. Fear God. Out of all the things you could fear, fear God. Next, we see we should wait for the Lord. Verse 17, wait for the Lord. He says in verse 17, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait for him. Later in chapter 40, verse 31, what does Isaiah tell us? Some of our wanted children should know this. What does Isaiah tell us in Isaiah 40, 31? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Wait for him. Wait. Hope in him. Next verse 17. I will wait for the Lord and I will hope in him with the doom and gloom of these few chapters. How does Isaiah find hope? Even though it seems, as he says in verse 17, God, it seems like you're hiding your face from us. But I will wait for you, and I will hope in you, because I have seen you. And even though I've seen you, and I know I should have been destroyed, you still loved me. You still forgave me. So I will wait. If I can see that again, I will hope. Because I was undone. There's nowhere else for me to go. Wait, hope. Lastly, verse number 20, find wisdom in Scripture. Verse number 20, chapter 8, it says, to the teaching and to the testimony. And we'll get to this in a negative. The people were trusting magicians, soothsayers. They were trusting quacky fortune tellers that they thought could go speak to people on behalf of the dead. They were trusting anything other than the word of God. And Isaiah says, no, to the word of God. Go to the word. Our hope is there in his words. Yahweh's words are life. One writer said, apart from the recorded word of God, Any light Christianity has is but darkness. This is what we have. This is our light. This is our guide. What is his word? It's a lamp to our feet. It is a light unto our path. And then the word, as John 1 tells us, became flesh. And he dwelt among us. Might have a connection with chapter 7. We'll see later. But he's the word. And we have the word. We trust to the teaching and to the testimony. So he continues, he said, a favorite phrase of John Wesley's was that every teaching must be tested by scripture. This is still true. Unless the Christian church can agree that the Bible, as it stands, is the very word of God, it is without consensus, authority, or light. It's just, that's it. That's what we have, the Bible. We have it, the Word of God. So these things, these are things that we should be doing as Christians, even today. Honor God, fear God, wait for God, hope in God, find wisdom in His Word. But what are the negatives that we see in verses 12 and following? See this conspiracy. They're trusting conspiracy in verse number 12. Right? Look at verse number 12. He says, do not call conspiracy. All this people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. There's this rumor mill going around, conspiracy theories. And it seems like throughout our history, mankind's history, we love conspiracy theories. We love them. 
What's an Area 51? I bet you have an opinion. Right? How did JFK get shot? What are some other ones? What was that saucer in the sky? How did this virus come about? What will your mask do? If you, if you, it's like our internet, it just breeds these conspiracies for you. Just here, just, it's like we're shooting them out. Here's some more. Here's some more junky things you can read that'll bring you zero hope in life and death that you should waste all of your time on. That's what the world's doing. They're, they're just embracing the next, oh, what about, ooh, what's gonna, hey, Jesus, ooh. I heard. Don't, don't, don't call. Don't fall for conspiracy after conspiracy. And he continues, verse number 12, don't fear the things the world fears. Which is our second one. Don't worry about conspiracy or fearing the things that God fears. 7 verse 12, right? Don't call it conspiracy. Everything is called conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. So let me ask you, if you were to write down right now 10 things that people around you that don't know the Lord, things that they're afraid of right now, what would that list look like? What are some things that they are that bring them actual fear and anxiety? You think of a lot, can't you? I, I think of a bunch. The virus, a forced vaccine, the inability to make one, family health, school, child care, how we make this all work, the election, the Supreme Court. There's a lot of things people are getting so angst over, anxiety over. We're going into this, this is August. We're going to get through November. Lord, help us. Kids are about ready to go back to school. What's, what's going to happen to my little one? Should parents, grandparents, should guardians care for their children? Absolutely. Should they wish harm them? Absolutely not. But Christian, how should you differ from those around you in this world and where your trust lies? If the sovereign Lord wants me to die today, guess who ain't doing anything about that? But today's my day. It's my day. Should I live smart? Absolutely. Should I jump off the top of this building? Absolutely not. Trust Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. Don't trust Fox News. Don't trust CNN. Don't trust MSNBC. Don't trust any knucklehead you see that shows himself on a TV, including for those live streaming right now. Don't trust me. Don't put your trust in man. Chapter 220, stop regarding man. I will let you down. Look at me. I will let you down. I will. I will fail in your sight at some point in time. If you're around me long enough, I will fail. I will sin. I will err. I will go astray. Do I wish I would? No. But I know my heart. I know I sin. I know it's just a matter of time before everybody else knows I'm a sinner too. Don't trust me. 
Don't put your trust here. Don't put your trust in this building. Don't put your trust in coming to this church. Put your trust in God. Fear Him. He continues, find wisdom. Do not find wisdom in man, dead or alive. Verse 19. People are going after trying to get wisdom from soothsayers and people that they thought could look into the future, people that could speak to the dead. And Isaiah is just like, are you kidding me? We've already gone over this lesson. Don't trust man, especially a dead man. He's not even alive. Uzziah, the great king, is dead. Dead. God, high, lifted up, always alive. To whom else would you go? You're going to go send somebody, your ancestor? They did everything they did and died. They, they couldn't make it. What hope will they give you? This is nonsense. It's craziness. So where do you find wisdom? A magazine? Your pals? Social media? Cable television? Tarot cards? Zodiac signs? It's crazy nonsense. Nonsense. So what does he tell you? To the word. To the teaching. To the testimony. To the words of God. That's where you find your wisdom. Lastly, we see these people were living in darkness. In verse 20, they refused to trust God. They refused his word. And they're seen as having no light. They have no dawn. And the people that are in darkness, what do they need? They need to see a great light. And he will come. He will come. That's been a lot of information about the two chapters, but what does all this mean for us today? First off, friend, in 8.14, we saw that God is either a sanctuary you run to, or he is a stumbling block that you trip over and fall headlong into judgment. He loves you. He died for you. The question is, will you trust him? Will you make him Lord of your life? Will you accept him as the Savior? Do not reject his word. Do not reject his love. Romans says, for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Admit that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believe that he did die, he did rise, he did ascend on high, and he still lives today. Call upon his name. Whoever calls upon his name will be saved. Friend, I beg you, trust, trust the Lord of hosts. If you're here and you have received Christ, let me ask you first a, a few questions on the negative side. Christian, are conspiracies in this world causing you anxiety? Are the theories, conspiracy theories, in this world causing you anxiety? Are you fearing the things of this world? Are your fears the same as your neighbors and yet you have the light of Christ within you? Are you finding wisdom in something other than the word of God? Are you living in darkness? Turn and come back. Like the prophet son, come back. The father's arms are always open wide. What about the positive Christian? Are you honoring God as holy? What's the best way you can honor God as holy? Be holy. For he is holy. Are you fearing him? Are you waiting for him? Are you hoping in him? Are you meditating on his word every day? Lastly, we saw that King Ahaz's choice to trust Assyria instead of God led to judgment for an entire nation. 
Recognizing this and the current political turmoil, one e member emailed me, and I encourage you, brother, sister, read through chapters 9 and 10 and email me things that you learned. But a member emailed me this and said, this is a timely reminder of how important it is not only to pray for our current leaders, but to pray for discernment in our choice of leadership. We need to make the elections of our leaders a much more prolonged, committed prayer, a matter of prayer. Right? We're commanded to pray for those in leadership. Pray. I don't care if you like them or not. Pray. Pray. God, change their hearts and change mine. In fact, change mine first <laughs> so I can pray for them in the right way. So choose wisely whenever we get to about time, but pray fervently. Lastly, I, I didn't get to this, and I didn't answer a question I asked. Who is this child? There are three to four good views on this. Three to four good conservative views on this chapter 7, verse 14. Who the child is. I, I haven't answered it. Was there a woman, a young maiden, that had a child in that day that brought about within those three to twelve years hope for the people? Was it Mahershala Hashbaz? Was it Hezekiah, the coming king? Was it the Messiah, only looking future? Is it possible that there's a duality to this, a near and a far? There's an answer that we can look to, and I want you to look at that answer next week when we get to chapter 9. We will get our answer for who this child is. Because we will see another child will be born. And we'll see what his name is. Marishal Hashbaz has four names. This child will also have four titles. And we'll see who he is. We'll see what he will do. And it's so amazing because a great light finally comes. Let's bow a word of prayer. Lord, help me. Help me to honor you as holy by living a holy life. Help me to fear you. Help me to wait and hope in you. Help me to meditate on your word day and night so I can be like a tree planted by the river. Lord, help me. Would you also help my brothers and sisters in Christ here to do the same? That we're all called to live in the same light. So if there are friends that are listening online right now, there are friends that are here in this room that maybe have come to church their entire life but still have never put their trust in you. Would you help them to turn and finally trust Yahweh, the Lord of hosts? May they accept Christ as their Savior. We need you. So because of all you have done, and as all that we look forward to seeing you do in this book and all that you have done in history, we want to say thank you. And we want to give you praise. So help us to do that well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.